And so, they're off. The election campaign is underway and handshakes and baby kissing are coming to a doorstep near you. Well, maybe not the baby kissing or even the handshake. We're still in a pandemic. Welcome to a very different campaign. The Scottish election 2021. First Minister Nicola Sturgeon is exonerated by an independent inquiry. Scottish Labour says it's time for a new government and a new opposition. And Alex Salmond heads up a new indie party to run for Holyrood. From Caledonia Media, I'm Charles Fletcher with Scotland's favourite political show, The Week in Holyrood. If you think you can bully me out of office, you are mistaken and you misjudge me. If you want to remove me as First Minister, do it in an election. Scotland's First Minister Nicola Sturgeon did not breach the ministerial code. Neither did she mislead Parliament. An independent inquiry says there was a bit of confusion along the way, but it isn't serious. The result of that inquiry did nothing to deter the Tories from performing political theatre this week. They petted their lip and orchestrated a vote of no confidence in the First Minister. They lost. Labour and the Lib Dems abstained in the vote. The Greens pulverised the Conservatives for their naked political tactic. Here's Patrick Harvey. The only resignations I have any interest in debating today are those of the committee members who have so systematically broken our rules abused the trust of witnesses and played childish games with the serious issue they were asked to examine. They are the ones who should be resigning today. And any political party that wants to come out of this episode with a shred of credibility will do whatever it takes to identify the culprits and ensure that they are not able to stand for re-election in six weeks' time. They have shown contempt for the serious issue of sexual harassment. They have shown contempt for their witnesses They have shown contempt for the rules of this Parliament and having failed in their attempt to drag Scottish politics down to their level, they should just go. We, the voter, have our say on the 6th of May. Deputy First Minister John Swinney had his this week. I have sat in close quarters to the First Minister for many years as colleagues, uh, sometimes in um, active disagreement about priorities, most of them respectfully, First Minister, about money, if I seem to remember. But throughout all of my days of dealing with the First Minister, I've always known I was dealing with an individual of integrity, of character, of responsibility and of devotion. Devotion to serving the people of this country. She has given every ounce of her energy to protect the people of this country in the last trying 12 months over covid She has done everything she could to protect the public. And the last thing she deserves is this grubby motion from the Conservatives. And I invite Parliament to chuck it out at the first available opportunity. Labour leader Anas Sarwar refused to support the no-confidence vote. He says it's time for a new government and perhaps, prophetically, a new opposition. Anas Sarwar was listened to in silence. In the chamber. On this, the penultimate day before the Parliament reaches the end of its five-year term, I would much rather we were reflecting on the impact of this dreadful pandemic 
and debating what we need to do to ensure our country recovers in the years ahead. Instead, we are confronted by a litany of government failings which led to two women being so badly let down and a Tory party that cares not about the principles but about the politics. A harassment policy failed. Two women were let down. It has shaken trust in the system and risked discouraging victims to come forward. It has called into question the integrity of government. It has undermined the principles of transparency and accountability. It has seen a misuse of public money. There are huge failures and big questions to be answered. There are no winners in this debate. Not the SNP. The spectacle of using a harassment inquiry, a harassment inquiry, as a, a recruiting tool was grotesque. And the Tories, in the face of all these failures, playing politics, interested only in getting a scalp. They announced they would bring a vote of no confidence before the First Minister had even given evidence to the committee. They lodged this motion on the 4th of March, before the Hamilton inquiry or the committee inquiry had concluded. Seriously? On one side, a litany of failings from a government that let down two women. On the other side, an opposition guilty of playing grubby party politics on an issue as serious as sexual harassment. This is a day of shame for our Parliament. Scotland deserves a better government and it deserves a better opposition. From the outset, I have made it clear that we would not prejudice the outcome of the inquiries, that we would remove party and personality. I accept the conclusion of the report published yesterday, but I also accept the conclusions of the cross-party report published today by a committee of this Parliament, which highlights a catalogue of errors. And yet still nobody has taken responsibility for the catastrophic feelings by this Government. There are still serious questions for the Permanent Secretary and for the First Minister too, because the buck ultimately stops with her. It cheapens this Parliament to have the Government attacking the work of the Committee. The SNP's tactics risk calling into question the very verdict of every Committee of this Parliament ever. Members have spent months scrutinising and investigating in an attempt to get to the truth, often in the face of obstruction from the Government. There are huge challenges ahead for our country, but I tell you, President Officer, we can't come back to a Parliament like this after the 6th of May using this chamber as a game designed to divide our country further. We cannot support a motion which is designed not to deliver the kind of strong opposition they promised, but purely at dividing our country and our politics still further. A failing government on one hand, a game-playing opposition on the other. Our politics must be better than this. Our people deserve better than this for the sake of the people of Scotland coming through COVID and with the huge challenge and task that faces us, we can't come back to this. Presiding officer, Scotland deserves a better government and it deserves a better opposition. Here's a tip. Keep an eye on Anas Sarwar over this campaign. In the past few weeks, he has shown statesmanship. After that vote, I spoke with the Lib Dem leader, Willie Rennie. He says this week has seen ugliness in Scottish politics. Why did the Liberal Democrats abstain in that vote? Well, we 
didn't want to undermine the integrity of the independent investigator. Uh, he was a senior lawyer in Ireland, well-respected, and we've got to trust his report. And he had judged that Nicola Sturgeon had not breached the code of conduct. But neither could we support a First Minister who had let down women so badly, admitted by many as the case, and spent half a million pounds and more on a court case that was defending the indefensible. This week has been a really dark week in politics. It's been poisonous, it's been vicious, the language has been incendiary, and it's got to stop. We need to bring an end to that, and we need to focus on the future of this country. There is an opportunity to create a new country with a progressive alternative to this poisonous dynamic between the Conservatives and the SNP that I think has dragged our country down. We need to change that. We need to change it for the better. And I'm up for it. Willie Rennie, thank you very much. We'll see you on the campaign trail. Thanks, Charles. It is indeed an intense week here at Holyrood. We awaited the results of those two inquiries, one independent, one cross-party. The independent one, headed by barrister James Hamilton, declared the First Minister had not broken the ministerial code or misled Parliament. The cross-party committee decided she had misled them, and by default, the Parliament. This from a committee that leaked like a sieve throughout its term and has in some eyes been discredited along the way. On the day its report was published, four of its own members declared they wanted little to do with it. On the day the Conservatives held their no-confidence vote, the First Minister said she would not be bullied out of office. Presenting officer, let me be clear about this. Had Mr Hamilton's report gone the other way, I would have accepted it. Had he found that I had breached the code in anything other than the most technical and immaterial of ways, I would have been standing here right now tendering my resignation because the integrity of the office I am so privileged to hold really does matter to me. The office of First Minister is more important than any temporary incumbent of it. But given that I have been cleared by that independent report of any breach of the ministerial code, uh, then my message to all those, especially to the Conservatives, who now, despite Ruth Davidson's protestations, refuse to accept Mr Hamilton's conclusions, is this. If you think you can bully me out of office, you are mistaken and you misjudge me. If you want to remove me as First Minister, do it in an election. Of course, if today's desperate political stunt proves anything, it is that you have no confidence whatsoever in your ability to do so because you have nothing positive to offer the Scottish people. Presiding officer, the last year has been exhausting for everyone. My experience of it is as nothing compared to those who have lost loved ones, suffered illness or watched businesses go to the wall. But I have given my all every single day trying to lead us through this ordeal. I I don't mind admitting that the intensity and the gravity of decision making has taken its toll. The Alex Salmon saga and the assault on my character that it has entailed has certainly not helped. But this country needs strong, experienced and positive leadership as we continue to navigate our way through and out of this crisis. And, presiding officer, that is what I offer. Which takes me to my final and to my most fundamental point. 
Tomorrow, this parliamentary term reaches its conclusion, perhaps not a moment too soon. The toxic atmosphere that has infected this chamber in recent months will give way, I hope, to the fresh air of an election. And I hope that the fresh air will bring with it a rigorous and positive debate, not just about personalities, but about the kind of country we want to be, about how we rebuild from this pandemic and create a fairer, more prosperous Scotland. It is now time, presiding officer, for the country to decide. The confidence of this parliament matters. Of course it does. But it is the confidence of the people of Scotland that matters most. And that, the confidence of the people, is what I will seek to demonstrate and seek to win in the weeks that lie ahead. The former First Minister, Alex Salmond, is heading up a new independence party and he says he'll run for Holyrood. Mr Salmond will lead the Alaba party and he plans to field candidates on the regional list in all parts of Scotland. He says he's aiming to craft a supermajority for independence. The party's strategic aims are clear and unambiguous. To achieve a successful, socially just, environmentally responsible, independent country. The tactics are to stand for the regional list to secure the supermajority for independence in our parliament. We intend to contribute policy ideas to assist Scotland's economic recovery and to help build a, an independence platform to face new political realities. At the last election, there were nearly one million wasted SNP votes on the regional list. Only four SNP MSPs were elected in that way. In yesterday's salvation poll, the SNP would elect no regional seats at all from a million votes on the list. They would all be totally wasted independence votes. Now, if Alba wins regional list seats... The wasted votes end. The number of independents supporting MSPs in the Parliament could reach 90 or even more. The initiative for independence should then be led by the Parliament, uniting the parties. Boris Johnson has already said no to the SNP proposals. He will find it much more difficult to say no to a Parliament and a country. And the independence debate will be recast, not as the Tories against the SNP, but Boris Johnson against Scotland's Parliament representing Scotland's people. We're on our way out of lockdown. The Western Isles has taken the first step towards that freedom we all seek by moving from Level 4 down to Level 3. It's the first significant move out of restrictions as Nicola Sturgeon continues to take cautious steps. She thanks children, and young people in particular, for sticking to the very difficult restrictions. I also want to acknowledge the impact of the past year on young adults. Uh, Many young people have been furloughed, uh, many have lost their jobs. Anyone who has been studying at college or university has had significant restrictions placed on how they study and in some cases where they live at one of the most formative times uh, of any young person's life. And although the restrictions on socialising are difficult for all of us, they are especially tough for people in their late teens and early 20s. But by sticking to the rules, as the vast majority have done, you have protected yourselves, but also helped to protect older adults. And I hugely appreciate that, as does the entire country. Presiding officer, for all these reasons, uh, one of my overwhelming emotions on looking back over 
the last year, which is why Richard Holloway's remarks resonated so strongly, is gratitude. Um, I will never be able to thank people enough for the sacrifices made and everything that has been endured over these past 12 months. But in addition to gratitude, I think all of us should feel a sense of resolve, perhaps politicians in particular. As we recover from this pandemic, as we will, we must create a better and a fairer country for everyone. The way in which people have responded to the pandemic has been defined, as I've said, by solidarity, compassion, love and sacrifice. But the way in which people have been affected has been defined by the inequalities that still scar our society. Inequality has massively affected people's quality of life during lockdown. And of course, deprivation has significantly increased some people's chances of getting COVID and of dying from it. None of us can be satisfied by the idea of returning to life exactly as it was before. That's why, for example, the Scottish Young Persons Guarantee makes it clear that our young people must not pay the price of this pandemic throughout their lives. All of them must get a fair shot at education, employment or training as they start out in life. It's also why we are working to establish a new national care service. The last year has powerfully reminded us of the importance of care and of the dedication of our care workers. But the death toll in care homes has been a national tragedy. We must consider, reconsider and reimagine how we support our care workers and look after our older citizens. We must also learn other lessons from this pandemic, and that does include reflecting on our mistakes, the timing of the first lockdown, the decision to ease travel restrictions during last summer. But it also includes ensuring that we are prepared for future public health emergencies too. And more generally, there is, I think, a lesson for all of us in never ever seeing any change that we want to make as unthinkable or unachievable. The past 12 months have shown us that when it's necessary, human beings can achieve quite incredible and extraordinary things. Scientists across the globe have developed vaccines at record speeds. Testing infrastructures have been established literally from scratch. People have changed their behaviour and their way of life at a moment's notice to protect and care for each other. Now, the conditions that the next Scottish Parliament faces will, I hope, be nothing, nothing like the ones we've encountered and endured in the past year. But that Parliament will have an even greater responsibility than this and previous ones to tackle inequality, to support economic recovery and achieve a just transition to a net zero society. And if we, all of us, can summon just some of the urgency, resolve and solidarity we have shown in the face of the virus and bring that to bear in tackling these big issues and others, then I hope we can ensure that we don't simply return to normal, that instead we create a better and fairer normality for the future. Presiding officer, these choices, of course, will be for the next parliament and the next government. For today, I know the focus for everyone is on remembrance and reflection. But since this is the last time that I will speak about COVID in this chamber before the election, I do want to say a few words about the weeks ahead. COVID updates will obviously be much less regular during the pre-election period, but the government will still be monitoring the pandemic constantly. I will be doing so on a daily basis and taking and announcing decisions as required. That's vital because although we can now see a route out of lockdown, difficult judgments do continue to lie ahead. 
In the past three months, we've significantly reduced the number of COVID cases in Scotland. We know that the vaccination programme is now reducing deaths, and recent research gives us confidence that vaccination will reduce transmission rates. That opens up the prospect, uh, the fantastic prospect, that we can come out of lockdown on a sustainable basis. Indeed, I can confirm that from 6pm tomorrow, the Western Isles will move from level four restrictions to level three, the level that currently applies to Orkney and Shetland and some of Scotland's other islands. And that reflects their success in reducing transmission in recent weeks. Across the country, during April, we hope to reopen parts of the economy with more retail services reopening on 5th April and a full reopening of shops on the 26th. We hope that hospitality will start to reopen on the 26th of April as well and that travel restrictions in mainland Scotland will come to an end on the same date. And of course, above all, we hope to see all children back in school after the Easter holidays. And of course, we also look forward to it becoming easier for all of us to meet up with each other again, particularly loved ones, initially in outdoor settings, but then we hope indoors as well. As vaccination proceeds and we go further into spring, life should feel a bit less restricted and a bit more hopeful than perhaps it has done for some time. And as a higher and higher proportion of the population gets their first dose of vaccine, we hope to be able to relax restrictions even more. As I indicated last week, we have real hope that later on this year that gigs can be allowed again, nightclubs can reopen, social gatherings can be permitted and family re reunions can take place so that we can all enjoy simple pleasures such as hugging our loved ones, pleasures that I'm sure none of us will ever take quite as much for granted again. But although that point may be in sight, that end is not quite here yet. At the moment, hundreds of people are still getting this virus every day in Scotland. It is still highly infectious and it is still dangerous, including to many younger people. And of course, many countries across Europe appear now to be on the brink of a third wave. All of that should remind us of the need to be careful and cautious. As we emerge from lockdown, we must do so steadily and surely, and in a way that does not allow the virus to run out of control. And we must keep in place other measures, for example, travel restrictions for as long as they are needed. To lift restrictions in the future, we still need to keep suppressing the virus now. So please, uh, to everyone across the country, continue to stay within the rules uh, for your own safety and the safety of everyone else. Stay at home for now, except for specific essential purposes. Please do not meet people from other households indoors. And remember to follow the facts advice when you are out and about. By doing this over the past 12 months, all of us have helped each other get through what has been, I think for uh, all of us, certainly for the majority of us, the most difficult, challenging and exhausting year of our lives. By continuing to do all of this in the coming weeks, we can and will continue to look after each other. And we can also start to look ahead to the future, not just in hope, but with increasing expectation of the better and brighter days that lie ahead. Uh, my sincere thanks to everyone across the country for all the sacrifices of the past 12 months. If you work in the NHS in England, the UK government is proposing a pay rise of 1%. It's been derided as a slap for those who've done so much over this past peculiar year. The Scottish Government is proposing a 4% pay rise for staff in NHS Scotland. We've embarked on an election campaign in a pandemic. It'll be different, but the politicians and journalists will do their best to have direct contact with you over the coming weeks. 
The election is on the 6th of May. Now you still have time to apply for a postal vote if you'd rather not go to a polling station. Go to gov.uk for details. Talking of which, let's now go to the UK Parliament and the House of Commons. We join the SNP's Westminster leader, Ian Blackford, live from Sky. Yesterday, my brilliant colleague, the member for Adrian Shaws, made his final speech to this Parliament. He is standing for the Scottish Parliament and is doing the right thing by stepping down as an MP. By doing the right thing, he will avoid a dual mandate and a separate by-election that would cost the public £175,000. Mr Speaker, the Scottish Tory leader is also seeking a place in the Scottish Parliament, but is refusing to step down as an MP. So, as his boss, will the Prime Minister order the member for Murray to resign his seat avoid a dual mandate and save the taxpayer £175,000? Or are dual mandates one more Tory policy where they think greed is good? Prime Minister. I think my honourable friend, uh, uh, the member for Murray and Ross, is doing an excellent job of, uh, of holding the uh, Scottish National Party to account for their manifold uh, failings, uh, not least on education, uh, failing to uh, deliver on crime, and failing, in my view, to deliver for the people of Scotland, so caught up as, as they are uh, in their desire for, for independence and another referendum, and I'm, uh, for separation. I'm, I'm amazed, actually, that he hasn't uh, mentioned it so far, but perhaps he will now. Let's go back to Ian Blackford. Ian. Simply, yet again, a Prime Minister failing to answer a question, and that charge that greed is good in Tory policies. Mr Speaker, we know that Tory leaders in Scotland have a habit of dodging democracy. Baroness Davison is fleeing the House of Lords and the current Tory leader is too feared to stand in a constituency. No wonder this morning's Daily Record declared that the Scottish Tories have exposed themselves as shameless, as nasty and just plain daft. They are led by a man so devoid of imagination that when asked what he would do if he was Prime Minister for a day, he replied, I would like to see tougher enforcement against gypsy travellers. Does the Prime Minister really have confidence in a Scottish Tory leader who doesn't even have the courage to put himself before the voters in a Scottish constituency? Of course, Mr Speaker, and uh, uh, the right right honourable gentleman represents a party that's so devoid of imagination uh, that it can't come up with any workable uh, solutions to help the people uh, of Scotland uh, improve their education, uh, improve uh, the fight against crime, d- uh, d- cut taxes in Scotland where they're the highest in the, in the whole of the, uh, of the UK. They're so devoid of imagination, Mr Speaker. They're the one track record. Uh, all they can talk about is a referendum uh, to break up the United Kingdom. That's, the, that's, the, that's their song. I'm amazed, actually. It's twice he hasn't mentioned it. Maybe he's getting nervous of singing that particular a song. Have you know? It's rather curious, Mr. Speaker. I, well, he's not coming back, is he? But uh, but next week, let's see. Or, or, or after Easter, let's see if he remem- he mentions it again. Scotland votes in the most important election since devolution on the sixth of May. How you vote can shape the nation, and your question to the leaders can inspire. I'm Charles Fletcher. Email your question to holyroodleaders at gmail.com. The week in Holyrood bringing the Scottish election home.
You're listening to The Week in Holyrood. I'm Charles Fletcher. And coming up in the next half hour, questions to the First Minister. This government has had years in charge of education. So why is progress on closing the attainment gap so slow? I'm actually pleased uh, that Ruth Davidson is back on the issue of education and attainment. And of course, what is her last FMQs before she goes to the unelected House of Lords? Officer, I think a bit of contrition might be in order from the First Minister after the failures of her government that have been exposed, rather than a lack of honour. While Ruth Davidson is off uh, taking £300 a day to sit in the unelected House of Lords, those of us in this chamber will be getting on with the job of improving education for all. I appreciate this is a, it's a political exchange and I always allow some latitude, but First Minister twice mentioned the House of Lords. I think the point has been made. No, no, it's a political exchange. I get it. I do understand it. However, the point has been made. I'd rather it wasn't so personal. Gallant, but not required, presiding officer. And the presiding officer reflects on his past five years in office. I think you're right. I think you've actually put your finger on the greatest achievement of all, the fact that the Scottish Parliament now, at the centre of public life, is... The, the, is the voice for the people of Scotland. If the people of Scotland want to shape their own affairs, they want to address their health issues, to address poverty, to build the economy, to build a, a, an educational future for their children, they do so through the Scottish Parliament. Any concerns, any unfairnesses, anything that's to challenge will be aired by their representatives on the floor of this chamber or in the committee So first two FMQs. For the final time, here's Ruth Davidson as group leader of the Holyrood Tories. Her boss, Douglas Ross, plans to be here as a list MSP after the election. He also plans to continue as an MP and a linesman in Scottish football. Ruth Davidson is going to the House of Lords. Presenting officer, there have been three major publications released this week. And while questions about the lack of accountability and the serious flaws in the government's handling of sexual harassment complaints remains over the first two, today in my last FMQs, I want to make sure that the third document, the Audit Scotland report on the attainment gap, doesn't go unexamined. Before we get into the detail of that, at today's Education Committee, the Deputy First Minister said he was nervous about the use of the phrase catch-up when talking about pupils affected by the pandemic as it assumes that all children have fallen behind. Does the First Minister agree with that view or does she share my concern that everything possible must be done to help pupils catch up after the better part of a year out of the classroom? First Minister. Well, I'll come on directly to that question, but can I say, first of all, Presiding Officer, Ruth Davidson could have chosen to ask me about education in any one of the previous weeks. Instead, she has chosen to indulge in smears instead of focusing on the issues that people want. So I'm actually, I'm actually pleased uh, that Ruth Davidson is back on the issue of education and attainment and, of course, what is her last FMQs before she goes to the unelected House of Lords. Uh, On the issue of attainment, the Audit Scotland uh, report this week uh, had lots for us to think about as we head to the election and as a new government uh, takes office after the election. It narrates much progress, uh, both in raising attainment and in closing the attainment gap. It obviously recognises the impact that COVID 
has had on that progress, but also, I think, can give us confidence that the key building blocks are in place through the attainment challenge, increased funding, uh, increased numbers of teachers. Uh, on the specific issue, though, yes, I do agree with the Deputy First Minister. I think it is really important that we do support young people to catch up on their education. Um, and the Scottish Government has announced significant additional investment supporting uh, increased numbers of teachers and a whole host of other initiatives to help with that. But I also think, and I make no apology for this, I also think it's really important that we recognise on the wider well-being of young people and that we recognise the impact not just on their education of COVID, which has been really significant, but also the impact on their mental health, uh, being away from their friends and their grandparents and family. And we take that holistic approach. So, for example, uh, we will be introducing a summer programme uh, backed by £20 million of additional investment that will allow us to focus on that broader well-being of children uh, so that we do make sure they recover and catch up in that wider sense. Education is part of that, but it is not the only part of that. Officer, I think a bit of contrition might be in order from the First Minister after the failures of her government that have been exposed, rather than a lack of honour or indeed uh, a contrition drive. Now, I just don't know how the Deputy First Minister can say that he is concerned about the words catch-up, because there is simply no way that pupils who would otherwise have spent the entire year in class can have done anything other than fall behind through no fault of their own or their teachers over the last 12 months. The only question is how far. And while we respect the, the summer work, we want to know what else her government is going to do to turn it around. And it's not as if there wasn't already a serious problem in Scotland with a deeply entrenched attainment gap. This week's Audit Scotland report says that the attainment gap remains wide and that improvements are not happening quickly enough. They specifically say that those in the most challenging circumstances have been most affected by the impact of school closures. And those same disadvantaged children have less access to remote learning and to online resources. This government has had years in charge of education. So why is progress on closing the attainment gap so slow? First Minister. Well, first of all, you know, Ruth Davidson has spent weeks misrepresenting me. Um, and there are many legitimate questions that should have been and have been asked of me and I have shown plenty of contrition uh, where that contrition uh, is merited. But Ruth Davidson, uh, I know there is division. I, I hear on the grapevine there's lots of division within the Conservative Party about their tactics over the last few days. Uh, so moving on from misrepresenting me, Ruth Davidson is now misrepresenting the Deputy First Minister. I, I'm really not sure what many people could find to disagree with in uh, the view that, yes, we should help young people catch up in their education, but that as we do that, we should help young people recover from the overall wider impact that COVID has had on them. That's the point the Deputy First Minister was making, um, and I find it really hard to see how and why Ruth Davidson would disagree with that. The Audit Scotland report, of course, has much to say about uh, progress. Uh, for example, uh, that uh, at the national level, exam performance and other attainment measures have improved. There has been an increase in the types of opportunities, awards and qualifications available to children and an increase in the number awarded. Uh, but it does focus also um, on the impact of COVID and that is why we are so 
uh, focused on making sure that we deal with that in the wider sense. So that's why we've committed almost £400 million of new funding over this year and next as part of education recovery. That's funding a range of different actions, including the recruitment of 1,400 additional teachers, 200 additional support staff, new digital devices, youth support work, all of the things that we need to do to support young people. It's also supporting the introduction of a £20 million pupil equity funding premium that will be part of record investment through the Attainment Scotland Fund. So in the next Parliament, I hope to be standing here, that's up to the Scottish people, but while Ruth Davidson is off uh, taking £300 a day to sit in the unelected House of Lords, those of us in this chamber will be getting on with the job of improving education for all. I guess, Ms Davidson, before, just before we continue... I appreciate this is a, it's a political exchange and I always allow some latitude, but the First Minister twice mentioned the House of Lords. I, I think the point has been made. No, no, it's a political exchange. I get it. I do understand it. However, the point has been made. I'd rather it wasn't so personal with Davidson. Gallant, but not required, Presiding Officer. Um, Presiding Officer, the First Minister does turn a good line on this. My aim, to put it very bluntly, is to close the attainment gap, not by a bit, but to close the attainment gap completely. That was more than five years ago, but as a promise, it's proven worthless. And the government was running out of solutions well before the pandemic struck. The Audit Scotland report criticises the slow rate of improvement, and it does highlight the attainment fund, but it highlights that the attainment Scotland fund needs to change. Reading and writing are the basic core skills of every pupil. But the attainment gap for literacy in challenge areas increased from 2017 to 2018 and increased again from 2018 to 2019. Now, seven months ago, after the last return of pupils to the classroom, the Scottish Conservatives were calling for measures to help get them back up to speed. 3,000 extra teachers, a national tutoring service and an independent expectorate to make sure that schools were getting back on track. All ignored, all while our children are continuing to pay the price for government complacency. Five years ago, Nicola Sturgeon said she was going to shut the attainment gap completely. Can she now tell the country when that will be? First Minister. Well, if the Scottish people uh, re-elect me to be First Minister, uh, then I will continue the work that we have been doing over the five years to improve attainment and close the attainment gap. And at risk of upsetting you, presiding officer, which I would never uh, want to do, Ruth Davidson, I'm sure, will be watching us from afar. Ruth Davidson. Nicola Sturgeon called closing the attainment gap, and I quote, her sacred responsibility. And this audit report, Scotland report is clear that the attainment gap that was meant to close is just as wide as ever. And who is to blame on this vital issue? Well, it can't be the party that's been in full control of our education system for the past 14 years. No. When confronted by more than a decade of failing Scotland, we heard this government's only solution on Monday. It was another independence referendum bill because that's all they've got. So with my last question in this chamber to Nicola Sturgeon, let me ask her this. How many times will she demand another independence referendum before she finally gets round to closing the education gap? First Minister. Well, of course, there'll be another independence referendum if the people of Scotland vote for another independence referendum. It is, presiding officer, 
called democracy, which I know is a principle that Ruth Davidson perhaps doesn't recognise these days as much as she might have done one day. It's not me, presiding officer, that is running away from responsibility and accountability. I'm about to put myself before the Scottish people and I will uh, put before the Scottish people my record in office. I will say to the Scottish people where we haven't made as much progress as we wanted to make uh, why that is the case and I will put forward a positive case for the future. Uh, I will put forward the plans that will see us continue uh, to improve attainment and close the attainment gap, continue to improve the health service, continue to support economic recovery and, yes, continue to support plans to allow this country to choose its own future so that we can build that recovery based firmly on the values of a majority of people in Scotland, not the values of Ruth Davidson and her Westminster bosses. But let me say, since it was her final question, that I wish genuinely Ruth Davidson well. Uh, five years ago, she... Five years ago, Ruth Davidson was trying to persuade people she was the next First Minister. That didn't quite work out, but I hope she has a happy time in the House of Lords, presiding officer. For Scottish Labour, Anas Sawar. Presiding officer, there's been a lot of focus on two reports this week, but no matter how devastating they were or could have been, nothing is more devastating than this one. On Monday, the Queen Elizabeth University Hospital case note review was published. It was looking into infections in children and young people who were receiving treatment in the cancer ward at the Royal Hospital for Children. Its findings were heartbreaking. It found almost 40 infections were most likely linked to the hospital environment, and tragically, they played a part in the death of two children. We would never have got to this point if it wasn't for the bravery of NHS whistleblowers. But there are still lots of unanswered questions. Can the First Minister confirm that every family of a child who had an infection due to the hospital environment has been informed, particularly the two families of the two children that tragically died? First Minister. Well, can I first of all agree with the characterisation of this report. Can I also agree that there are questions that still require to be answered and there are undoubtedly questions uh, that families uh, want to be answered, which is why, of course, uh, that we have uh, instructed a full public inquiry into this matter. The inquiry was formally launched on uh, the 3rd of August last year and, of course, we look forward to that inquiry uh, doing its work in the months to come. Uh, I am pleased that the Oversight Board has published its final report. Um, the final report sets out a number of failings of the Greater Glasgow and Clyde uh, Health Board and a series of recommendations which the Government expect the Board to take forward and to implement. I also welcome the publication of the case note uh, review overview report. That was uh, essential uh, that those most deeply affected by the events at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital had their voices heard and as far as possible at this stage their questions uh, answered. In terms of uh, families, uh, as uh, Anas Sarwar I'm sure is aware, the expert panel is now preparing individual reports uh, for families affected um, and they are expected to be issued to the families uh, in the week uh, beginning the 12th of April uh, in order uh, that the families don't have only the information from the overview report but specific information uh, related to the circumstances in which their uh, own children were placed. And I understand what the First Minister is saying and I welcome the public uh, inquiry uh, but this has been far too long for families to be informed of the possible uh, outcomes for their children. We have a duty of candour law in Scotland 
and that means there is a legal duty to inform all families. I would suggest there have been breaches of that duty of candour law up until now. One of those families is the Darek family. Kimberly Darek's 10-year-old daughter, Millie Main, had leukaemia and was in recovery, but sadly caught a deadly waterborne infection and died. For years, Kimberly was never told the true cause of her child's death. Nothing I have done in my time in this Parliament has been more important or more difficult, presenting officer, than raising the case of Millie Main. I promised then that I would not rest until I got answers and justice for Millie and all the families affected. Four years on from Millie's death, we are finally starting to get answers. Millie's family have demanded a fatal accident inquiry. They understand the delays due to COVID, but it is unfair to prolong their grief. I know the First Minister cannot direct the Lord Advocate, but given the findings in this report, does she agree there must now be that fatal accident inquiry? First Minister. Can I say a number of things, and I'm genuinely trying to be as helpful as I can be within the constraints of, of my responsibilities. Uh, firstly, I agree, and I think this comes through the uh, overview report is that amongst the lessons to be learned by the Health Board are lessons around transparency and openness and I think that's a point that has been very firmly and clearly made and one that I would expect the Health Board uh, to reflect on very, very seriously. Secondly, in terms of Millie's family and I, I know Anasarwar has worked uh, closely with Millie's family and uh, Millie's mum in particular, uh, but I would say uh, this uh, to uh, her family and indeed to the families of all the children affected, uh, that there is a determination on the part of me and the government as well to get the answers that are required, but also to make sure that lessons are learned. Uh, and we will not rest until that is done as well. Uh, Millie's care was reviewed as part of the case note review. Um, and uh, as I said in my initial answer, uh, the expert panel is now preparing individual reports and that will include uh, Millie. I, I know Millie's family, as is their right, uh, is engaged in legal proceedings um, and I, I don't want to say anything that would uh, obviously uh, prejudice any of that. Finally, on the issue of a fatal accident inquiry, I, uh, it is not a decision for me as to whether there should be a fatal accident inquiry and it is, I think, important recognising the separation of powers that nor do I see anything that could be seen to be putting undue influence on those whose decision that is, which is the law officers. That said, I completely understand and I completely sympathise with the view of Millie's family that there should be a fatal accident inquiry. And I'm sure the strength of that feeling is understood by the law officers, although they have uh, considerations that they have to weigh in reaching that decision, as they have in all cases. But I absolutely understand why Millie's family want to see that inquiry, um, and I understand why. President Officer, we, we can't put all this on the Health Board. There are lessons for the Health Board, but there are also lessons for government. Nicola Sturgeon was the Health Secretary when the Queen Elizabeth University Hospital was commissioned and built. She was the First Minister when the hospital was opened. And we now know that one week before the hospital was opened, an independent report found that the water supply was not safe and posed a high risk of infections. That report was ignored and the hospital was opened anyway. Another example of secrecy and failure that has had devastating consequences. And no one would have known without the bravery of NHS whistleblowers and this being exposed in Parliament. This case is just one of the huge challenges our country was facing even before COVID. 
there are countless others. And we know that even when lockdown ends and the virus is defeated, we will need to focus all our energy and effort on delivering the strong and fairer recovery that Scotland needs. We can't come back after the 6th of May and carry on on the old arguments. Politicians fighting with each other, focused on their own interests and not the national interest. Why can't the First Minister see that? First Minister. Um, I, I don't want to... I'll, I'll come on to that final point, because I think it is important, actually, um, and I've got a particular perspective on that um, after this last year. But on the issues of the Queen Elizabeth Hospital, I, I agree there are lessons for government uh, as there are for the Health Board. Um, and I, I hope that whatever people think about my decisions, whatever they think about my politics or my views on things, uh, this is a government uh, that is prepared to face up to... Uh, issues that arise and to learn lessons. The public inquiry here that has been instructed is a key part of doing that and that public inquiry will look at all of the issues, uh, all of uh, the, the parties and, and players involved in this uh, and reach its conclusions and I think that is, is right and proper. Um, I, uh, when you're in government, uh, one of the jobs, and I say this with no disrespect to, to other ministers, every ministerial job is a really important one that carries heavy responsibilities. Uh, but when you're health secretary, I think you, as I was, I think you recognise each and every day the particular import of the decisions uh, that you make. So these things weigh heavily and you carry that responsibility uh, very heavily. Um, so I, I absolutely recognise the importance when things do go wrong of recognising that and learning lessons. On the issue about focusing on the things that matter, again, you know, there are plenty of things that divide us in this chamber and and actually, that's the hallmark of a healthy democracy. We should be able to have these debates and these differences of opinion without resorting to personal attack and personal smear. And that's what I hope changes in the next session of Parliament. But every single day over the past year, I have focused... Some people will agree with the decisions I've taken, some people won't, but I have focused 100% on trying to lead a country through a crisis. And that will continue to be my focus for as long as I am First Minister. Um, and I do think it changes your perspective. It's changed my perspective. And as we come back from the election, uh, yes, we have differences of opinion. We should debate these things rigorously. The future of the country really matters. Um, and it really matters that we get it right. The powers in this parliament, uh, the values that guide our recovery. We shouldn't shy away from these debates, but we should do it respectfully. We should do it civilly. And we should all do it recognising that while we might disagree, we all have the best interests of this country at heart. And that's the spirit I hope we will bring back with as those of us coming back after the election into the new session of Parliament. Lib Dem leader, Willie Rennie. It, that should be the spirit it, of the Scottish Parliament. And that is something that I think we all have a responsibility to try and live up to. But Scottish politics in the last year, I'm afraid, has been poisonous and it does need to change. The Audit Scotland report did say the Scottish Government's performance on education is limited and falls short. The First Minister did say she would close the poverty-related attainment gap completely, but that was six years ago. It won't be done overnight, she predicted, but we've had 2,000 overnights since then. The First Minister didn't answer the question earlier, so I ask her again. How much longer would young people have to wait before the First Minister delivers on what she promised. First Minister. Well, look, I intend to continue doing what I 
and the Government have done for the last five years is making the progress, taking the decisions, making the investments to uh, progress that. And I expect to see us make significant progress, building on the progress in this Parliament uh, over the next Parliament, if that's what the people of Scotland, of course, choose. It's right to prioritise raising attainment and closing the attainment gap. Uh, the Audit Scotland report recognises, and I'm quoting here, that uh, the complexity of contributory factors means that it will take time to achieve that. Uh, they also recognise that COVID has undoubtedly hampered progress. Uh, again, I'm quoting, pupils living in the most challenging circumstances have been most affected by school closures. Inequalities have been exacerbated by COVID. But they also narrate progress. Uh, exam performance and other attainment measures improving, uh, the increase in the opportunities, awards, qualifications and the number of those being awarded. Uh, they talk about the increase in uh, school investment uh, over the last few years. Um, so the building blocks are in place. Progress has been made uh, and my focus and uh, my determination if the people of Scotland put their trust in me and us again is to make sure we continue that in the next session of Parliament. Willie Rennie. I really don't think the First Minister should be really trumpeting a 36-point poverty-related attainment gap. And the First Minister has not been in power for five years. It's been 14 years in power, and she is responsible for the state of education today. And at this rate of progress, it will take 35 years to have equity in education. We are about to go into an election campaign where it's up to the Scottish people. And in the election campaign, I will put forward uh, my record, the record of my government. I uh, will be straight with the Scottish people about the challenges we face, where we haven't made enough progress and what we intend to do about it. And on the 6th of May, people in Scotland will make their decision. They will either re-elect this government or they won't. That's democracy. Uh, that's accountability and scrutiny. Um, and it's uh, accountability and scrutiny that I welcome and I relish. At the end of this, the fifth session, of Parliament, some familiar faces are departing. More than 30 MSPs are standing down, notably some from the original intake of 1999, including Joanne Lamond, Linda Fabiani and Ken McIntosh. Ken is the current presiding officer, elected to the post in 2016. Presiding officer, thank you so much for joining us again on The Week in Holyrood. I remember your first broadcast on The Week in Holyrood when you were presiding officer. I seem to recall I was also the first broadcaster to interview you after the election. What do you remember of that day? I do remember, Charles, you were the very first interview uh, that I had to do and uh, what I had to do, that I was <laughs> delighted to do. Um, I, was still, I remember I was still slightly stunned and surprised and... Um, I, I'm not sure I told you then, but I mean, I don't think anybody goes into politics to become a presiding officer. You, you win because you want to change things and make a difference and stand up for people. But I'd always believed in the Scottish Parliament. I still very much believe in it. And that's what the role of presiding officer is all about, a chance to defend this institution, to, to make it you know, true to its principles, accessibility, sharing power with the people of Scotland. And I hope after five years that's what I've done. But it is an incredible position of responsibility, isn't it? Because you are representing you, the face, the voice, the sound of the Scottish Parliament. And as we've spoken before, who could imagine back in 1999 Parliament would be where it is now, uh, the very centre of Scottish politics and life. And we couldn't imagine uh, Scotland without this place. I think you're right. I think you've actually put your finger on the greatest achievement of all, the fact that 
the Scottish Parliament now at the Centre of Public Life. And we'll hear more from Ken McIntosh next week, who's still in post until the new session begins in May. There's always something of theatre in politics. It brings highs and lows. It generates humour and sadness. Five years ago, I recall sitting in the press gallery with my colleague Simon Olivier Gagnon and accidentally playing a bit of music from my phone as Ken McIntosh came in as the new presiding officer. The vocals belted out, things can only get better, much to the mirth of journalists across the gallery and my embarrassment. It's time now to get back out on the election trail. 